for me to teach again. We'll be going to the epistle to the letter from Paul to Titus. But just to give you a little background, because some of you will be familiar with that more than others. Titus was a younger man who was working together with the Apostle Paul. He and Timothy are both referred to as Paul's sons in the faith, which possibly suggests that Paul <clears throat> excuse me, had been involved in their conversion experience, but also that they'd been trained by him and they were continuing in their ministry under his oversight. And uh, the epistle, just to touch on a few points, the epistle begins with Paul reaffirming his own calling as an apostle and the fact that we have a hope of eternal life and that this is manifest or revealed or declared through the preaching of the word. Paul felt strongly enough about the importance of preaching that was, it was committed to him. He, he felt as though God had put it in his hands to take care of it and he also shared that responsibility with Timothy and Titus and the others that that uh, he was developing or training, we might say, or leading as they followed his example. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, we are going to Titus, I'm not losing my memory. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And there are two things I want to point out regarding preaching. This is not necessarily popular in the world today. But firstly, those who are called by God to preach as Paul was need to take that responsibility very seriously as Paul did, uh, to preach his word, not their own ideas and philosophies. Amen. Preaching is not talkback radio or social media where everybody gets an opinion. When it comes to the preaching of the word of God, God's opinion is the only one that counts. Amen. And secondly, all of us, those who preach, those who don't, need to hear the preached word of God to be saved and to stay saved. That's what the Bible says. It is deliberately designed by God to bypass the wisdom and the understanding of men. It deliberately challenges and confronts how people naturally think. It's important we understand that. Let me clarify that by saying the word of God can certainly be studied and there is most definitely a need and a place for Bible teachers and for scholars. But unlike the world, it doesn't matter if you're good at exams or if you struggled at school. The only thing I struggled with was paying attention. All of us can be impacted by the preached word of God, regardless of education, ethnicity, age, life experience, whatever your journey is. The preaching of the word of God is still the vehicle that God chooses to reach people and to save people. Amen. Paul then in the letter goes on to remind Titus of why he had been left on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. There were several things he was tasked with doing. The first one was to set in order the things that were wanting or things that were lacking, that whatever was needed in the church becoming strong and established, Titus was to go around helping to sort that out. And he was also to ordain or to select 
elders in every city to set up leaders to take care of the groups of believers that met and fellowshiped across that island. Paul, if you then read on in the epistle, and I would encourage you to read this later, but I'm not going to read the whole epistle this morning. Paul then gave Titus a series of qualifications that he should look for when he was considering the candidates to be the elders and the leaders of the church. He looked, there were certain things, he said, these are the qualities that you're looking for. And he warned him, just like today, that there would be some that might be troublesome, and there would be some who would talk a lot of empty talk and deceive people. Today we call that YouTube. That Titus was given the responsibility to rebuke those people sharply. It literally says it. It doesn't say be as gentle as you can. It says make it very clear that they might straighten up and that their walk might match their talk. And then chapter 2 begins with Paul writing to the older men and women. I believe that's both natural and spiritual immaturity. How they should avoid certain behaviors and they should be examples and teachers of the younger men and women. And we still think that is an important principle today. Getting old does not necessarily guarantee wisdom, but it certainly guarantees experience. And if we walk with God as we get older, we should have both wisdom and experience and be able to impart that to those that come behind us. There's, there's no way to fast-track experience. It just takes time. Amen. Titus is told to speak sound doctrine. He's told to teach that which is solid, which is accurate, which is true. He's told to be a good example or a pattern for people that would follow his example so that he, he's also encouraged not to give, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but we would understand this as do not give ammunition to those who would bring accusations against the church. So when there are people who are going to say things about the church, say things about the gospel, say things about, he said, don't give them fuel. They're going to say things anyway, but don't give them justifiable reasons to have a crack at you. And then from there, we get to a few verses that are going to be our platform for the next several weeks, Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, everybody say teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I'm not going to be offended if nobody remembers this series, but I'm going to be teaching a series of lessons just called Lessons from Grace. Lessons from Grace. And the grace of God, the Bible says, that brings salvation. In other words, it makes salvation possible, has appeared, it has been manifest, it has been shone like a light on all men important we understand that God's grace is available for every living, breathing soul on this planet. Amen. Everybody that's alive today, God's grace is there. If they've already passed on from this life, that, that period has come to a close. If they're not born yet, well, that hopefully goes without saying. There's an old hymn that some of us know that simply says, just as I am, I come to thee. And because of the grace and the mercy of God, we can come to Jesus just as we are. Aren't you glad about that today? Aren't you glad that we can come to Jesus just as we are? We do not need to try and clean ourselves up, put on the best display we can to impress Jesus or to make sure that he, he thinks that we're pretty special. You have to understand when you come to Jesus, it's not a rental inspection. 
If you, own, if you rent a property, you know from time to time there are rental inspections, amen? And what you do when they let you know there's a rental inspection is that you clean the house so that when the real estate agent or the landlord comes, they get the idea that that's how you live all the time. And then when they leave, you leave the dirty clothes back on the floor and the dishes in the sink and bathrooms maybe not as shiny and spotless as usual. Or at least maybe that's what some people do. The thing about Jesus is he really knows how you live already. So if you try to front up this image where you've got it all together, he knows the reality. Amen. Unfortunately, the understanding of grace has been perverted in much of present-day Christianity to mean that what we do, how we live, is completely unimportant. And when certain behaviors or actions are taught against, or challenged as being things that Jesus doesn't want to have in our lives, you will hear people often react by saying something like they shouldn't be judged because they're under grace. It's as if grace is some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. That the moment says, hey, I don't know, think that's a good way for you to live, they say, well, I'm under grace, don't judge me. If there was ever a slogan in our present world, it's don't judge me. You know, the thing is you don't need to judge people. Their actions judge them for themselves. That's the reality. And it is very true, very true, and we're going to repeat this emphatically this morning, that we are under grace. It is very true that we cannot save ourselves, that you cannot be good enough to be able to take away your own sins. Amen. It is equally as true that while we may come to God just as we are, we cannot have a healthy relationship with Jesus staying just as we are or continuing to live a sinful life. Romans chapter 5 and starting at verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. We spoke about that law in our Bible class this morning. The law entered that the offense might abound. What the law did really well was point out what we were doing really badly. But where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound, that as sin had reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say there? In other words, how shall we understand this? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because of God's grace and his wonderful provision, do we just keep living the same way because he'll just take care of things? Verse 2 emphatically responds to that question and says, God forbid, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Amen. And so, again, I'm going to be a little repetitive today, but the gospel message is all about bringing your brokenness to Jesus, your sin, your shame, bringing that to him and never, ever being turned away. That is the gospel message. Amen. We have to be crystal clear today. Jesus came because we could not fix ourselves. Because we could not cleanse ourselves. Because we could not break our own addictions. We could not overcome our own sin. We could not wash those sins away. That's why he came. We, he came because we're broken. And whether or not you like to admit it, you have all been broken in one way or another, and some of us, and most of us, if not all of us, he's still putting us back together. It's a process that he will continue to do until we either die or he comes back for us. So let me be very 
clear and it's not about performance or being good enough. He is our healer. He is our redeemer. He is the one that puts us back together. Jesus himself said healthy people don't need a doctor. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. He said, the healthy people don't need the doctor. He said, and I was thinking about that scripture, how absurd would it be for you to make an appointment with your doctor when you're sick than to show up for that appointment and try to convince the doctor that everything is fine. Sit in the doctor's surgery and say, oh, and, and away today. Oh, I'm fine, everything's great. Nothing's wrong. No, I'm fantastic. The doctor's like, well, why are you here? It's even more absurd if the doctor knows your medical history. <laughs> I've been going to the same doctor for nearly as long as we lived in Perth. She knows my kids. She knows all the things that are wrong with me, or well, most of them, not the ones that the Lord only knows about. But in terms of my health, she has all the records, all my blood tests, all the medication I have to take, all that stuff. So if I walk in and say there's absolutely nothing wrong, she's not going to believe me. But if you go in there and you don't say, we go to the doctor because something is wrong, because we have pain, because we have a fever, because we're throwing up, whatever it is, we go and we say, doc, I need help. I'm not well. So why? Do people come to Jesus with broken lives, with a heartache, with emptiness in their souls, overcome by sin, and feel like they need to pretend that they're all good? I'm good, God. Nothing wrong here. Nothing to see. Play on. Nothing to worry about here. Amen. The people in the Gospels who received something from Jesus while he walked the earth were those who cried out to him with a need. The ones that said, Master, have mercy on me. Master, my child, my servant, my situation. Master, have mercy. What is your need? Give me my sight back. When they cried out, you see, when you cry out to him, you cannot separate that from acknowledging you have a need. Because when you cry out to him, you're crying out for somebody who can make you whole and put the broken pieces back together again. Amen. If we have junk in our lives, we are in the right place. If our lives are broken, we are in the right place. You can be born again. You can have new life. And the Lord spoke to us this morning through the gifts of the Spirit, through tongues and interpretation, that He is able to cleanse us, that He is able to cleanse us repeatedly. And this morning we praise God for that. Amen. I praise God for the scripture that says, Come, let us reason together, that your sins be as scarlet, stained so red, they shall be white as snow. I thank God for that today. Amen. But this new life that we begin by being born again of water and spirit is one where we are called to be disciples. Our theme this year is to go, is to be disciples and to make disciples. We are called to be separate from sin to walk in the Spirit. We are called to not fulfill, act upon, or perform the lusts of the flesh. In fact, most of the New Testament, the epistles, the letters, we call them epistles, but most of the letters in the New Testament are written to churches or individuals instructing, correcting, guiding, and directing towards that purpose and that goal that we would please Him. Amen. That we would be the disciples of Jesus or that we would be Christians in the true meaning of the word. Amen. So we we cannot choose to deliberately sin because grace will apparently take care of it. God 
forbid. God forbid. The Lord gave us a parable. Matthew chapter 22, and I think it's come up a few times recently in preaching about a wedding feast that was prepared and how those who were on the original guest list did not want to come, but they rejected that invitation. And there's a parallel there between the people of Israel turning away from God. And so a second batch of invitations was printed, sent out to the people in the highways and the byways, to the people who had previously not been invited or even considered. The people from all walks of life were asked to come. All of a sudden, the beggar sitting on the roadside is handed a fancy wedding invitation. He's like, this has got to be a mistake. This has got to be the wrong address. Ever get somebody else's mail? He felt like he had somebody else's mail. But as he opened that invitation, he saw that he was also invited to that wedding feast. You see, just as I am, the beggar, the blind man, the leper, the broken, the whole, everybody was invited, every walk of life from every byway and highway, every lane and every walk that ever existed, they were invited to the wedding feast just as they are. But the scripture says that when the king came into the feast, he saw a man that was not wearing a wedding garment and he had the man thrown out. And I know most of us understand this, but for those that don't, it can seem rude. But the thing was, The custom of the day was that this host who put on the wedding feast would provide the garments. So you might think, well, that's rough. He might not have had enough money to hire a suit or his favorite tux was at the dry cleaners. He didn't have that, but there was no excuse because it was provided for him. And the way that we are to live for God is provided for us. The invitation included them coming to the feast in whatsoever state they found themselves. But the provision or the grace was provided to bring about change. God will always meet you wherever you are. It does not matter how low you think you've sunk or how filthy you might think your life is. God will meet you just where you are, but he loves you too much to just leave you in that filth. Even the very famous story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, the young man who took his father's inheritance and went out and basically partied that inheritance away, found himself in a famine, filthy and dirty and getting a job feeding pigs where his state was so desperate that even the pig food looked good. Finally, the Bible says he came to himself and he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house because even the servants there have got it so much better than what I have in this pig pen. He wasn't even thinking about being a son. He was just thinking, if I can go back and be a servant, I'll have a warm bed, I'll have three square meals a day, I won't be feeding pigs and wanting the corn husks that they're eating. And But when he returned, the Bible says that when his father saw him, which means his father was looking for him, when his father saw him, he ran to him, wrapped him in his arms, even though he stank like pigs, hugged him and kissed him. But then what happens? Is that what the historians know? They cleaned him up. They got him fresh clothes. They put shoes on his feet. He probably had a bath. It doesn't say that, but if he was working with the pigs, I'm pretty sure it's there in the original Greek that they sent him to the shower. They cleaned up the young man and they refreshed him because it was preparation for him to return to the role of being a son again. The young man knew that he did not deserve to return to his father's house. 
And that's what grace is about. It's about the goodness of God that we do not deserve. But because of his father's love, his father was gracious and merciful to him. But the young man also knew that to return to the relationship as a son would include living in a fashion that honoured his father. His father welcomed him just as he was. But then there is a process of restoration, of renovation, of renewal, and bringing back to the fullness of that relationship. Back to our original scripture in Titus 2, 11 to 13, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace is not only bringing salvation or making it possible, but it is also teaching us, it is teaching us that there is a way that we are required by him to live in this present world, in our present world today. There is no argument, none whatsoever, that we cannot do it by ourselves. You cannot save yourself. You cannot keep your own salvation. You do not have the power, but if you will do what the Lord says, if you will walk in his spirit, you can be saved, you can stay saved, and you can be ready for him to come again. Amen. The same grace that makes it possible for us to choose to be saved teaches us that we can choose to stay saved teaches us that we can choose to live a life that honors God and is victorious over sin and the enemy in this present world. Whatever the present world that God's people have faced throughout history, grace has taught that in that present world they can be victorious. Yes, 2022 is a whole lot different from 33 AD. There's a whole lot of stuff that the disciples and the apostles would not understand. But then there were changes in the second century. There were changes in the third century, at 1000 AD, in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages, in every different era of history, the grace of God still teaches that we can live for him in this present world. Amen. Whatever it is, he can keep us. He can help us to be victorious. God would not include this scripture or statements like this if they were not possible. Now, they're not possible by ourselves, but they're possible with him. Amen. We're talking about lessons from grace today. So often, and I hope most of us can relate to this, so often we come together in this place, and like our worship service this morning, we are refreshed. We're renewed in the presence of God. Sometimes there are some services where we just feel so filled and overfull of the Holy Ghost that we just feel like we can't contain it. It's like... It's like you know when you let your kids learn to pour the water at the dinner table. There's that process where they have to get the hang of stopping before it overflows the glass. Any parent know what I'm talking about? That's what it's like sometimes in service. It's just like the water just keeps pouring. The Spirit of God just keeps flowing. And it's just it's like we can't even contain it. And it's such a wonderful thing and it should never, ever get old. And while Jesus wants this to be part of our lives, these awesome experiences together as we worship, If we are not careful, and if we lack understanding, we can fall into the trap of living from experience to experience, almost as if we're living from high to high, 
And we can approach God in a similar way that an addict approaches their next hit. But Jesus does not want us to be on an emotional roller coaster, going up and down and up and down and having no stability. It is without doubt true that there are highs and lows in life. We can all testify to that. There are highs, there are lows. There are difficult times, there are different seasons, there are different battles, there are different experiences. Some are our own doing, some are beyond our control. Those things definitely happen. But the Word of God wants to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And I'll say it again, the house of God should always be a refuge. It should always be a place where you and I can come, be encouraged, receive strength. It is a place where we get instruction, correction, even from time to time rebuke. And if you have failed, Lord, if I have failed, Lord, I've made mistakes, we can always find grace and mercy in his presence in our time of need. He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And every one of us here knows what it's like to drop the ball sometimes. Every one of us knows what it's like to let God down, to fail, and to need that rehabilitation. When we come back into his house, we come in feeling like we failed God again. We're feeling lower than we can just walk in under the door without ducking. We just feel like we failed completely. But you come into his presence and the grace and the mercy of God begin to come in like a flood and he cleanses and he restores and he, he renews and he washes us and makes us brand new again. We all know what that's like and I thank God for that because I'm pretty sure it's not the last time I'm going to need it. But if week in and week out we are coming to this house and every single time needing to get right with God or to find the victory that we lost through the week or to feel like we're ready to go to heaven again, if that's our constant experience and something is wrong. I hope you understand the balance that I'm trying to communicate this morning. The house of God is for all of those things. Restoration, renewal, taking hold of the promises of God. We're all going to have those times where it seems like the wheels have fallen off and we've crashed the car. I know I've lost count of the many amount of times I've felt that way. We do need Jesus to put us back together. He will. He does. But if your normal setting of life your default setting of life is that your week is a disaster and that Sunday is your fix-it day, then my challenge this morning is that not how, that's not how Jesus wants it to be. That is not how he wants it to be. And on Sunday mornings for the next few weeks, I'm going to be teaching some things that can help us to live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live between the experiences. I thank God for those services. I thank God for when the power of God falls and we just, we just lose track of everything else except Him. I want to see that more and more and more. And you, you contribute to that by what you bring to this house. I thank God for that, but your walk with God is 24-7. If your week is a disaster and they will you through those doors on life support Sunday morning every week, something is not right during the week. There are going to be those weeks where we all come through those doors on life support. Let me be honest. But if that's you every week, you know, if we glance through that door, it's like, oh, Sister Sheila's ambulance is here again. They're bringing her in on life support. I'm only picking on Sister Sheila because it's not like that for her. That's not how it ought to be. Otherwise, what does that scripture mean when it says we can live soberly, 
righteously, godly in this present world. By the grace of God, we can live a victorious life. We can be overcomers. Stand with me if you would this morning.